it's interesting how people view marriage, isn't it? I uh, read a story this week of a guy named Pastor Jones that had a couple in his church that were celebrating 50 years of marriage. So he saw it as an opportunity for a sermon illustration. So during his message, he invited, uh, the husband's name was Ralph, to come up and talk about how he and Martha had been married 50 years. He says, you know, what's, what's been the secret? You know? And he says, well, he says, I've tried to respect her and I've spent a lot of money and uh, I've tried to especially take her places, you know, meaningful places on, on those special occasions in our relationship. He said, well, like, give me an example. Ralph says, well, on our 25th wedding anniversary, I took her to Beijing, China. Everybody in the congregation, wow, wow, Ralph, you're amazing. And the pastor said, Ralph, what an inspiration, what an example you are to husbands everywhere. He says, so what are you planning to do for the 50th? Ralph said, I'm going to go get her and bring her back. (laughs) Now, that's one way to do marriage, but it's not necessarily God's way. And I don't know uh, what you're learning as you just walk through every day in our culture, but if you're following along, here's what I'm noticing, that a high view of marriage is becoming increasingly rare. A high view of marriage is becoming increasingly rare. That's what we're up against, isn't it? I've done enough premarital counseling in the last 28 years, and what I've noticed is that when I talk to young couples, hey, Uh, What are you hearing? Are you getting encouragement from your friends, from your family, from people? Many of them are telling me, and maybe this isn't completely accurate to culture, but they're saying, we are getting almost no one telling us that we're doing a good thing. Most of our friends are saying, sorry, man, kiss your life goodbye, death sentence, straitjacket. And again, Trish and I, we have been so thankful for some of the older couples ahead of us that have said, by God's grace, we're finding that it gets better every year as we try and just stay teachable before Him. Now, there's a whole span there, isn't there? Mix that with the fact that almost every person in our culture now has been touched by divorce. I mean, there is so much confusion in the youngest generation now since they, many of them have not been able to witness a healthy and high view of marriage in their life. And so this is a complicated subject to talk about. But a high view of marriage is becoming increasingly rare. And you might say, well, you know, so? I mean, what's the big deal? That's life. It happens. Have you ever stopped to think about what happens when marriages go south? Have you ever stopped to think about when no one even is viewing marriage highly anymore, what begins to happen is homes get affected. Little lives get affected. An example tends to go away. And when homes get affected, cities, states, and nations get affected. And when nations get affected, worlds get affected. You know, one of the things I'm grateful for in our church family Some of you with the highest view of marriage and the ones who treat marriage highly have gone through a failed marriage, one that you didn't want to fail. And you're here today and you you have been encouraging to other people because you have a high view of marriage. Some of us are here today, truth be told, we made decisions either earlier in life or even recently that We didn't have a high view of marriage, and therefore we made decisions based on that. And God really, it really does bother him when we have a different view of marriage than his. It really does matter to him. He wants us to to be gripped by this kind of view of marriage that he has. Because when marriages win, homes win, churches win, cities win. States, nations, change. Worlds can actually be different when God's high view of marriage is practiced. And so that's what I want to talk to you about today. And I hope you'll see 
uh, if you're following along, that God's plan is good. God's plan for marriage is good. Now, I'm not saying that everyone's lived his plan. I'm not saying marriage is always done his way, even by his own people. But I'm saying, in itself, it's a good plan. It was meant to help two people learn to become one, to take two self-centered, self-willed people and teach them how to do life together, and that's no easy deal. There's a lot to that. There's lots of layers to that, isn't there? And yet, he wanted to do that in such a way that it could be a blessing to people. Now, there's all different kinds of views on marriage that some people would say are good, but they're not God's view. Some people would say that marriage is a 50-50 proposition. I'll give 50, they give 50, we'll make it work. And you know, sometimes those kind of marriages, they do survive, they do, they do work in the sense of they work. But that's still far below what God has in mind. You know what God's view of marriage is? A hundred, a hundred. 110, 110. He wants two people that are both committed to the relationship in such a way that even when they fail, even when they want to quit, they keep giving. And that's God's God's picture. And man, it's what a high and lofty view, isn't it? But here's another picture for you. Uh, Jesus, in the passages I've listed out to the right there, and by the way, I just want to invite you, if you really want the whole view of marriage that you have to go up, it's probably not going to happen by just listening to this message. It's going to happen as you feed yourself with the Word of God, as you meditate on it and let His words go more deeply into you, and they become a part of you. And you begin to see with your own eyes, oh my goodness, wow. But here's God's view of marriage. Instead of just two people being alongside of each other, you know, Sometimes with their spirits closed, because when we ding each other, isn't it easier just to close our spirits towards each other? We're still together, but we're, you know, kind of closed up towards each other. We've been married 40 years now this way. You know, his plan is, is that two people, man and woman, would come together like with their palms open towards each other. They were in the garden. They were naked and not ashamed. Wow. That kind of doesn't mean they didn't just have no clothes. It means that they were open to each other. And that he wants us to learn how to come together, and then he wants us to learn how to interlock. And that's a tall order when men and women are so different, isn't it? But that's how a lot of people think. That's, that's, that's a pretty good view of marriage, isn't it? But God's view of marriage is even higher than that. God's view of marriage isn't just that two people would learn to become one, but that they would learn to serve. And that that oneness, as they're one, they would learn to open their lives to other people, most of all to God, where they now live not for their own pleasure alone, not for their own glory, not so people can go, what an incredible marriage you have, so they can glorify God and serve his purposes together in ways that they couldn't maybe by themselves. And when that happens, I'll tell you what, those kind of marriages don't say, well, we're just going to hang out with married people. They say, we're going to try and encourage people that maybe have gone through a hard one. We're going to try and care about other children, not just their own. If those couples do have kids, they tend to say, kids, how can we think about other people besides just ourselves? How do we glorify God and serve his purposes? And we're in this series called Whole. And the reason that we called it whole is because the temptation in life is to compartmentalize our lives and think that only some areas are spiritual and other areas are not. So sometimes we say going to church is spiritual, but watching football is not. Or that going to school or going to work or going to my job or when I handle money or when I handle time, that's just, that's just a non-spiritual thing. But Jesus says, no, 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 not so. I gave my whole life in order to rescue you from your independent, spirited nature with God and the consequences of that separation. I gave my whole life. I died on the cross. I rose again so that now I can change your whole life. I can make you more whole than you've ever been, and I can show you how to see your whole life differently. And today we're going to talk about marriage, and the temptation is to say is that marriage isn't necessarily a spiritual deal. Oh, friends, it is. How you and I steward everything that belongs to God that he's given us on loan, that he's given to us as a trust, 
is an adventure that he wants us to be part of. And he wants to teach us how to steward everything, our bodies, money, time, relationships, everything with him. And I want to suggest to you that this is actually the life worth living. That as hard as it may be, because sometimes it's actually harder to, to swim against the stream of a culture, it's actually a greater adventure than if we live for ourselves and we don't give our whole life to Christ. So if you're following along, what I hope you'll see this morning is that he gives marriage as a trust to grow us as his stewards. He gives marriage as a trust to grow us as his stewards. And all of us have a view of marriage and have a way that we treat marriage, whether in one or not, that's important in his plan. And so he wants to teach us how we can be good stewards, how we can handle what he's entrusted to us, and how we can, you know, grow in this area. I don't know if you've thought about this, but one of the ways God grows our character isn't just by giving us, you know, tests where we write answers down. It's by putting us in situations where we've got to learn how to respond. And he wants to build on the inside when we want to quit. He wants to build character. When we want to, like, just be lazy and coast, he, he challenges us, no, 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 give more of yourself. And that kind of character, like Jesus' character, is what he's trying to build in all of us. And he does it by teaching us stewardship. He said, now this belongs to me now, that you belong to me, but I'm going to give it back to you as a trust and a loan, and I want to show you how to do it with me. But remember, it's mine. So every one of us, even if we have a good marriage, you, you realize it's, it belongs to God. There's no way we can take any room for boasting in that. That's a trust, and we need to make sure. And if we aren't in a marriage, there's still things that he entrusts us with about other marriages, the ways we can be involved in that. And so I want to talk to you about that this morning, and here's how I want to do it. I want to first of all talk to you about a big picture verse, Hebrews 13, 4, that talks about how all of us need to look at and treat marriage. And then I want to talk to you very specifically about a verse, 1 Peter 3, 7, that God's really been using in my own life, not only in my marriage, but it has all kinds of application whether you're married or not. And then I want to talk about how all of us can move towards a higher view of marriage than maybe we have today. And before I do that, let me just say one thing to you. Actually, two. One is, is that I do not stand before you as an expert on marriage today. Even this week, as I was just being gripped by God's view of marriage, I found myself saying, oh my goodness, I'm still falling short of what he wants of me, and I, I've, I've got a lot of adjustments I need to keep making to his plan and working with him. And so I, I don't stand before you as someone that's, you know, hey, but I do want to be the kind of pastor that even in my failures can say, follow me as I follow Christ. To the extent that I humbly seek and follow him, I don't want to be the kind of leader that just says, you know, here you go. And that leads to this second idea. When the pastors, whether it's Steve or Brian or myself or any of us that are teaching, we've talked about this. We wonder sometimes if because we're standing up here looking out at you, that sometimes we might come across like, okay, we studied all week, here you go, here's what you're supposed to do. Sometimes that's how preaching comes across or is perceived. But can I tell you how we tend to think of it? We tend to think of it this way. This is God's word. All of us are under his authority, including the pastors. So what we're going to do on Sunday is we're going to all look at it together. I'm going to do my best to point out things that kind of stand out and make sure we don't miss some of the big ideas. I'm going to do my best, so will Steve and Brian. But, but ultimately, we, we believe that this book can help us understand how to steward our whole lives the best way. And I guess what I want to ask you is this is what, what do you do with this book in your life? I'm not talking about this morning. I'm talking about when no one else is around. Does this book guide your life? Is this the book that you measure your life by? Um, in the book of Amos, there's this interesting phrase called, a word called plumb line. 
It's kind of an old school picture, but in the days when carpenters and builders would be building things, this was kind of a level. It was like a string or a rope that had a heavy weight on it, and so with gravity, it would hang straight down. And builders, in order to know how to build the wall straight and tell whether it was crooked, they would compare it to the plumb line. And uh, what happened sometimes is if the builders weren't good builders, if they weren't faithful, they would try and mess with the plumb line so their building would be okay. But the good builders always said, no, no, I'm going to adjust my building and the way I build around the plumb line because the plumb line is straight. I want to be real honest with you. What we're going to talk about this morning is going to be hard for some of you. What we're going to talk about this morning is going to probably expose and sting in some areas. It certainly has me. And I, I don't want to lie about that to you, but what I want to ask is, Will you have the maturity that when you see what God says, that you will wrestle with it and grapple with it in such a way that you choose to align your life to him rather than try and twist him to align with you? Because that will make so much difference in whether or not you keep growing as one of his followers for both you and me. So I want to pray for that as we look at this together, okay? Now, Lord... We live in a culture with so many different voices and opinions that's telling us what marriage is meant to be. And I do thank you, Lord, even for those people that don't acknowledge you, that at least seek to be virtuous in their marriages. It does help our country. But Lord, help us not to aim short of your high view of marriage. Help us with this one and only life to steward our lives in such a way that we glorify you and serve your purposes in this generation. For Jesus' sake, amen. All right, so here's the verse, Hebrews 13, 4. And by the way, if you want to look at this in your, in your Bible, you can. You might want to mark that place. We have black Bibles there in the seat rack in front of you. If you don't have a Bible, you can take one of those home. We'll replace it, but it's on page 845. But again, I want to read off the same translation this morning. So if you would, let's see Hebrews 13.4 in the, in the message notes, and let's read off that the first gray box out loud together. Okay, you ready? Marriage should be honored by all. Stop. If you take nothing else out of the room, you might want to underline that, that sentence. That's the big takeaway today. Marriage should be honored by just married people? By all. Married or unmarried? Marriage should be honored by all. Let's go on. And the marriage bed kept pure, for God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. That's quite a plumb line. This is not how we're taught in our culture about marriage, is it? So let's unpack it. What's it mean? What's God's view here? Well, the first word he says is honor. Honor. He wants marriage to be honored. So what's honor mean? In the Hebrew language that the Old Testament was written in and parts of uh, the Bible, it literally means to make heavy. To make heavy or treat with reverence. Uh, the idea is, is to treat as important, to treat as weighty to literally see it as something that God says is not just important for the couple, but is important for all of human society and his big plan in the world. To see it that important and to treat it not lightly, not derogatorily, not to speak against it, not to speak down about it. There's moments for playfulness like we've had this morning. But again, if the overall purpose of our lives is to constantly talk about marriage in a way that is absolutely counter to God, whoo! That's not honoring. I remember when in the 60s and 70s when I was a kid, um, th th those were the days of Woodstock and uh, all kinds of psychedelic drugs and things like that. So maybe that's where this came from. But I remember in those days, people would be wearing all their psychedelic clothes and they'd be listening to someone, a philosopher, or someone reading something. They'd go, ooh, that's heavy, man. That's heavy. And some of you remember those? Now, I noticed that Cool's made a comeback. I've never noticed that Heavy has. That's heavy. What did they mean? Ooh, that's important. That's substantial. I better think about that some more. And that's what this is. 
Marriage is something that we better give a lot of thought to. That we better see it's important in God's plan and economy. And so it's heavy. In Proverbs 3, 9, we learned this back when we looked at stewarding our money. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with your resources that he gives you. How do you do that? With the first fruits of all that you have. In other words, don't give them last. Don't give them like some of it. First fruits were your best. Give them the first and best cut of everything he gives you. Well, that kind of thing makes him heavy. It shows that he's, he has weight in our lives. And, and again, when you and I honor marriage, we go from just treating it lightly to saying, oh, yeah, it's a, it's a good idea, it's okay, you know, to saying it's really important. So here's the question, if you're following along. Any marriage dishonoring ways that I need to confess? You know, with the plumb lines this way, are there any marriage dishonoring ways I need to confess? I mean, look at this. It says, in the marriage bed kept pure, for God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. What does that mean? Again, our culture has actually gotten to the place now, more than it used to be, is that adultery is seen as exciting and you're missing something if you don't at least consider it. That is absolutely God. God loves marriage so much that he put these hedges around not to take away our fun, but to protect it so that marriage is precious and treasured. But again, the Bible says is that God will judge people that do that kind of thing with the marriage bed. What's pure mean? It means that it should be exclusively reserved. Sex, which is God's incredibly powerful good gift, is reserved for inside a marriage between a man and a woman. And sexual immorality, when it's used, describes anything outside of that. That includes premarital sex, which again, nowadays, is considered just a physical act of pleasure. But in fact, the Bible says is that that does something to the future of your marriage. There is this mystery, and the Bible says is that sex sin is different than any other kind of sin in one regard. It's not saying it's worse, but it's different in the sense that it's a sin against yourself. It, it, when, we, when we misuse sex like that, it starts to do a number on our mind and our, our, our bodies sometimes that God didn't intend. And so, premarital sex, extramarital sex, which is adultery, homosexual and lesbian relationships are outside of God's intended design. That's not a popular thing to say nowadays. And I want to be quick to say, I want to be a church that cares about people that are trying to wrestle with that whole issue. It is complicated. And it is profound. But again, God never designed for a man to be married to a man or a woman to be married to a, a woman. That was not God's plan. I know that our culture is redefining it and it's considered progressive and it's considered intolerant to say otherwise. I don't want to sound intolerant. I, would, I just want to say, what do I do with this plumb line? Am I going to try and make things work? Because here's, I want to be honest with you, friends. I've had people, even in our church family, who said, you realize the Bible's kind of out of date. Um, I really don't think the Bible is, understands our culture. Really? Or is it possible that we're messing with the plumb line and trying to make our lives, make God fit our lives? You got to be careful about that. So again, lots of different things there. And some of you, you have been sexually abused and so you don't think of yourself as pure anymore because someone robbed you. Man, I want to be a church that's compassionate about this, but I want to tell you, God knows your heart. And you may be a person here that you have a high view of marriage and that's what makes it so painful for you. And God sees you as pure. He can wash you as white as snow. And the truth is that when it says God will judge the adulterer and the sexually immoral, it's not saying so that you have no hope. It's saying, here's a warning. God is against that. God will oppose that kind of attitude and that kind of low view of marriage because he wants it to be special even for those that are disobeying him. Therefore, he stands against that in judgment not to destroy, but to oppose so that people will what? You know how to avoid the judgment of God? To humble yourself before God and say, God, 
I agree with you. Change my mind. I want to rearrange my life around your plumb line, your picture, not my own. When people confess and forsake sin, God gives mercy. Praise his name. This week, I'm married, and this week I was absolutely thinking about some of the ways before marriage and in marriage I have been dishonoring to marriage. Sometimes we speak derogatorily of our spouse out in public or to someone else. That kills God. We need to speak well and build up our spouses in public, friends. Sometimes it's possible to flirt with another married person or a person outside your marriage. The word for sexual immorality in the Greek is the word porne. Do you recognize what comes from that word in our language? Pornography is basically finding pleasure in the body of someone else. And it's epidemic, friends. In fact, nowadays, even when you're trying to avoid it, it's almost impossible not to be assaulted with it. We've gotten a lot more comfortable with a lower standard of marriage and sexuality in our culture. And we're going to have to grapple with that if we're going to live for God. So I guess I just wanted to stop for a second and say this third line here is that married or not, we honor Christ when we honor marriage. Married or not, we honor Christ when we honor marriage. And the converse is true. We dishonor Christ when we dishonor marriage. But I think if you're like me, I want, I want my life, I want my life to be honoring to God. I want to learn how to steward it differently, even though I've made, you know, some again, decisions. Another way to be dishonoring in marriage is just to be apathetic. Sometimes it's to be cruel. Sometimes it's to be unforgiving, resentful, and unwillingness to forgive. Those things all, those things all are dishonoring to God. And there may be reasons sometimes behind it that need to be unpacked. But man, I was thinking this week about ways that I have dinged or dishonored my marriage and sometimes other people's. And you know, again, God just says, will you stop and clean house and just deal with that? Here's the difference, friends. When the Bible says that if we confess and repent or forsake something, the word for repentance means to change our mind. So sometimes when we hear something like this, we feel guilty, we feel ashamed, and we go, okay, i got to get rid of that shame, that guilt. And that's not bad. That's the starting point. But the truth is, you and I will never forsake those behaviors. Like, living together is outside God's plan. And I know that a number of people are doing that. They say for economics... And they say they're doing that because they had such a bad experience in their, mar- their parents' marriage that they're having a hard time trusting. We want to be sensitive to all that. But friends, living together is not God's plan before marriage. And so when we think about those, how do we change our minds about that? And what's going to cause someone to say, today I'm moving out and I'll stay with someone else. I'll do whatever we have. Today we're going to stop sleeping together before marriage. The only way it's going to happen is if you and I change our mind willingly, from the inside, because we see a bigger picture. And we go, your plan for marriage is better than my plan. Show me how to adjust my life to your plumb line rather than the plumb line adjusting to me. So I want to just bow our heads. And if you're willing, take this silent time. Is there anything you need to confess, which means to agree with God? Anything he's asking you to say, man, I, I have been... I have been working against either my own marriage or the marriage of someone else or I am not preparing myself wisely for marriage the way I'm acting. Would you just take a moment? Lord, I love King David's prayer. I have sinned against you. Please forgive me. Wash me. I may be whiter than snow. You oppose the proud, but you give grace to the humble. Those who hold on or conceal their sins will not prosper, but those who confess and forsake them will find mercy. Oh God, honor your word. Help each one of us to adjust our lives around your great plan.
for marriage. In your name I pray, amen. Second thing I want to do is just unpack 1 Peter 3.7. 1 Peter 3.7, it's listed there in the notes. Would you mind reading that with me? In that second grade box, out loud. And by the way, before I read it, I know the first word is husbands. But, you know, wives, I just want you to know it's completely legal if you want to, like, do this too. And if you're not married, this actually, these are great things about relationships, period. So just see it. See it what you think. Let's read it together. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Wow. Wow. Do you see what's going on here? The Lord is saying, husbands, if you try and separate out the way you treat your spouse and that you think you can have a great relationship with me no matter how you treat them, (laughs) you're kidding yourself. Your relationship with your family has a direct bearing on your relationship with me. And as you get to know me better and you respond to me, I'll help your relationship with your family be more pleasing and be more honoring that way. But don't think that you can just, you know, talk any way you want to Trish, Jeff, and then come praying to me, Lord, here I am. He says, I'm going to ask you to deal with that first. It will hinder your prayers. Woo! That's pretty interesting. Let's unpack this together. It says, in the same way, if you're following along, what's that mean? If you look at 1 Peter 2 and 3, there's an interesting thing going on. Several times in that letter, Peter says these words, likewise or in the same way. And it's always tracing back to Jesus. It says that Jesus, when he came to earth, he fully submitted himself to God the Father. I mean, here he was, a human being, God in human flesh, God in a bod. And what he did is he demonstrated to us what it looked like to submit yourself fully to God and be a steward of the life that he was given. And oh, did he steward it well. But what he did is he had this humble, submitted attitude that wasn't just submitted to God, but then it also affected the way he was servant-hearted towards other people. We saw how he washed his disciples' feet. What was his number one question when he was here on earth with people a lot of times? What can I do for you? The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve I once heard about a guy that came to a pastor and he threw a three-page document on the pastor's desk and says, that's what I'm looking for in a wife. The pastor said, this is, wow, this is good stuff. Here's your assignment. Go home and write what you're going to be as a husband. Completely different mindset. Jesus had the second idea. Unbelievable. And so when you think about it, here's what it means. Just in the same way, just as Christ did, he's our standard. So when it talks to wives, it doesn't just say this about Jesus, but it says wives in the same way that Jesus had that attitude. When you're interacting with your husband, keep that in mind because that attitude's a winner in relationships way more than trying to be proud and uncooperative and getting your own way and always looking for whether or not they're doing their part. Go for a different attitude than that. But then it comes to the guys. And notice this. This is fascinating to me. In 1 Peter anyway, there's six verses for the ladies, but only one for the guy. What does that mean? I think that means that we need it really short and simple sometimes. Now, Ephesians breaks that whole theory, so I'm, I'm, I'm just saying. But every once in a while, it just goes, okay, I know you can really just do one thing, so do this, okay? The truth is, God's trying to grow us up past that, but this is powerful, and it's so direct. And so in the same way, what happens when Christ is my example? Oh my goodness, what a difference! When I feel like saying, you know, I just don't feel like it today. I remember that Jesus probably didn't feel like going to the cross on Good Friday. When I remember thinking, you know, hey, let's how how do I get the whole world to come to my front door and get everyone to serve me? I remember Jesus says, what can I do for you? Oh man, what an inspiration Jesus is. And he now lives in us. So when we steward with him, he's going to regularly be saying. I remember the first few months that I was married to Trish, uh, she was washing the dishes there after the, our, our meal. There weren't that many dishes in those days by comparison. And so I remember thinking to myself, great meal, honey. I was going to go and watch TV. An overwhelming thought came across the ticker of my mind. Jeff, why don't you pick up the towel and dry the dishes? Now here's how I knew that wasn't me thinking. Because I wasn't interested in picking up the towel and washing the dishes at that moment. But boy, was I inspired 
that Jesus wanted me to do that. And I realized Jesus loves my wife even more and better than I love her. And if I'll listen to him, he'll help me. Wow. In the same way Christ did. He's our standard. And then notice this. Be considerate. Study that leads to action is what that means. The word be considerate, it means not just think about, not just consider it, but be considerate. The more I think about this whole verse, I realize that this verse is all about being intentional and attentional. I don't think attentional is a word, but I, I just made that up. But intentional and attentional is that you and I, what happens for most of us guys, maybe not for you, maybe you're better than I am at this, but I'll tell you, what I learned is after I got married, I once heard a guy say that he realized that in his mind, he had gotten the marriage job done. Check. All right, I'm married now. Okay, uh, let's see, I'll focus more on work or what else can I do that I want to do? And it really, it's the beginning of the whole process. Getting the marriage job done, will def, will, you know what we'll do? We'll just go, um, I think I've given enough. Instead of, how can I keep growing? Can I just tell you, I've known Trisha for 35 years. I think I'm only at the, the front end of understanding and knowing the complexity of what God made in her. She is an amazing person, but again, and complicated. And, and different, I don't mean complicated in a negative sense. <laughs> I didn't mean in a complicated okay. But multi-layered, and so am I. And then you add the guy-gal difference thing. I mean, right? And plus, we're different than we were when we first got married. So growing old together, it's a constant challenge to just make, figure out how I'm considerate. And the idea here is that it basically means making every effort to know and understand my wife's heart and her dreams and her desires rather than just going, hey, here's my dreams, here's my desires, here's my heart. And I learned how to put myself in her shoes. I learned how to understand better how she thinks and what she appreciates. That takes a lifetime. And sometimes I fail. And sometimes I get it right. And you know what's great? God is committed to helping me. And he's committed to helping you. Whether you're in a marriage or not, he wants to help us get better at being stewards of our relationships. But you and I got to figure this out. How, how have I done that? You know, the truth is, is we've figured out that it boils down to a lot of little ways. So some of the ways we did this, I, I actually have a piece of paper here. Uh, about a year and a half after Trish and I were married, um, you, you might say I did this because we didn't have much money. But it just shows that you don't have to have money to do some of these things. You know, one of the things I loved about Jesus is he asked people questions. You learn a ton of things by asking people good questions. Like, what, like what do you enjoy? Like, what's your favorite food? I know of a guy that he knows his wife's dress size, shoe size, ring size, hat size. I mean, on and on. And he tries to learn. He, he keeps a, a diary of the foods that she likes you know, the kinds of music, all this kind of stuff. But where did he get that? He had to learn that somehow. It's not rocket science. But anyway, I wrote this on a piece of paper, and here's what it says. Dearest Patricia, I'm interested in being a better husband. Therefore, I knew you could help me. <laughs> so if you would place a one, two, or three in the following boxes, it will help me to know some of your particular preferences, one being the most important, two next important, three is last. Which area would you most like to see increase when I'm with you? I'd list some things. Which of these three means the most to you at this point in our marriage? Interestingly, by the way, at that time she said, if I picked up after myself, that would be number one. <laughs> you know, we joked about this the other day. I actually do that better now, she told me, than sometimes she does. Okay? But I'm kind of actually bragging. All right, so... As far as areas you would like to see me grow in, which one strikes you most second or last? Please list for me at least one or two major needs that you have that you would encourage me to focus on with you. And again, I still have this 28 years later. I pulled it out. Can I just say, honey, you were funny and hilarious then. It still makes me smile. That's amazing. But you know, that little exercise. And I'm not saying that just because you decided to do that, they'll be ready for you to do that and go, oh, this is a lovely idea. Sometimes if you're going through a hard chapter, they're going, I don't want to see your face right now. You know, that's the truth. There's this sometimes points of tension and things like that. But it's asking questions. One of the things that's helped Trish and I a lot was the five love languages. Some of you know about this? Five love languages. Gary Chapman wrote the book. I highly recommend it. It came out after we were married. 
I wish we had known about it before we got married, but we, we found it early enough that it's been helpful. Here's the thing. Sometimes we think we're loving a person, but they don't feel loved. It's a complete miss with our kids, with our spouses, with different people. So we've got to learn the love language they speak, not just the love language we speak, or it can be a complete miss. And somebody, I just want them to learn how to speak my language. Nothing wrong with that. But if you say only and you don't learn their language, it's not a relationship. It's one-sided. So we've had to learn that. Here's what's funny. This many years later, the other day, uh, Steve and my son have talked to me a lot about audible.com with audiobooks. So I've been trying to combine, make the most of my time when I exercise, listening to audiobooks. So I got the five love languages, and Friday, I listened to some of that, and then Trisha and I watched this guy talk on video, and we just kind of reviewed what our love languages are. That, those are ideas you can try if you're interested. But again, these are just ideas. Part of it's just learning how to be considerate. Lord, would you show me how to pay attention, notice things, see things that I'm blind to or just don't naturally see? Show me, Lord. That can be huge. And then I hope you'll see that how I treat my spouse affects my relationship with God. That's one of the things I'm learning. How I treat my spouse affects my relationship with God. In the book of Malachi, he says, some of you wonder why I'm not accepting your worship. It's because you're not being faithful to the wife of your youth. You can't just be like that without it bothering me and affecting our relationship. Work on that. Get that right. Humble yourselves. Deal with that. Don't just come worship me as if your relationship life doesn't matter. That's been big. Well, we thought this morning that it might be helpful if you actually heard from the better half. And so, most of you know, Trisha is not a person that jumps at the opportunity to stand in front of people, but we asked her to, and she's going to share some of the things she's learning about marriage after 30 years. Would you welcome my wife, Patricia? Love you, love you. Being married to Jeff has been one of the biggest roller coaster rides of my life, and most of the time, I'm okay with roller coasters. In all seriousness, I've uh, learned to, that putting my relationship with Christ first is the key. My relationship with Christ has a direct impact on how I relate to Jeff. As I read scripture regularly, I am often reminded that to, I need to set aside my pride, put on humility, and be ready to forgive. The more I take God's word to heart, the easier it is for his spirit to help me love Jeff as Christ does. When I pray and listen to God, he shows me little things I can do to serve my spouse that can make a big difference. For example, ironing Jeff's shirts is not my favorite pastime, but I have learned that Jeff feels loved by me when I do this. <laughs> so, Whenever my attitude wanes about ironing, the Lord seems to remind me to use the time that I am ironing to also pray for him. If you were to ask me what I'm learning after being married 30 years to Jeff, it is that marriage is about doing hundreds of ordinary little things like ironing and praying. Jeff is so good at writing me notes, and I found myself interrupting Jeff's day by sending fun texts and letting him know some of the reasons why I love and respect him. The old saying, opposites attract, is pretty much true of Jeff and me. While I like many of his uniquenesses, in all honesty, being opposites has brought challenges to our marriage. For instance, I'm from a family of mostly listeners. Jeff is from a family of mostly talkers. I'm most comfortable with a group of young children, Jeff is most comfortable with adults. I like to have things planned for our day off. Jeff likes to be much more spontaneous. I'm more of a conservative driver. <laughs> Jeff, well, he thinks he is a NASCAR driver. So how do we deal with these things? The answer goes back to our relationship with Christ, which is so daily. It is in giving our whole lives first to the Lord and looking to him that helps us best steward our marriage. In closing, I want to share with you that Jeff and I are both so grateful for those of you married and unmarried who have prayed for, been sensitive to, and cheered us on in our marriage. Cherry Hills has been so encouraging in this, and we thank you. And Jeff and I hope in some small way that our marriage 
can be an encouragement to you, whatever your marital status may be. Thank you. Uh, just uh, Friday night even, I, I kind of stayed in leadership mode and kind of overwhelmed her with what I thought she should do in a certain situation. And Lord, just showed me, you got to go back and you got to be considerate of her and put yourself in her shoes and, and understand I want you to be tenderhearted towards her. And so it's still learning this, you guys. It's just daily. So how do we, how do we be faithful stewards? Let me just bring these three, home, three things home as we close. First question is, have I and am I giving myself first to Christ as Lord, like she talked about? 2 Corinthians 8, 5, great verse. They gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us. You get that order right, it's amazing what he can show us. But if Jesus is not Lord of your life yet, it'll be a battle all the time. You'll continue to try and do things your way, I have. But am I, have I, given myself first to Christ as Lord? Second, will I honor his instructions even when it's difficult? Will I honor his instructions? I asked you this earlier. What do you do with God's instructions in his word? These passages. Do you adjust your life around his plumb line? We talked about it. It's going to mean taking some steps today of obedience for all of us as we think about our dishonoring ways and how to make those right with God and change our patterns or ways that are going the wrong way. The third thing is, Lord, what little ways can I be considerate like you today? Lord, what little ways can I be considerate? Like Trish said, we have found, many couples will tell you the same, it's the little things that make a big difference. Sometimes it's a word, it's a look or a touch. Sometimes it's an action of service. Again, the five love languages can talk to you about some of those things, but they can make a big difference. In closing, uh, Howard Hendricks tells about a man who was a football player with the Cowboys, Dallas Cowboys, years ago. He was the chaplain at that time, and this man gave his life to Jesus Christ. This guy was a massive athlete. He was afraid of nothing on the football field. But after he came to know Christ, Dr. Hendricks was trying to disciple him, so he says, give me assignment when I go to spring training. He says, okay, I want you to read the letter to the Ephesians in the New Testament while you're gone. He says, uh, where's Ephesians? And he helped him find it. This guy's a brand new Christian. Dr. Hendricks learned that while this football player was gone during spring training, he read Ephesians six times a day, every day. When he got back, he says, i got to talk to you, Dr. Hendricks. <laughs> this book blew my mind. He said, have you seen this part that says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for it? He goes, that's impossible. Dr. Hendricks says, you've just discovered the most important lesson in your Christian life. The Christian life is impossible apart from trusting Christ. You can't live the life without him. And then he said, okay, well, so what do I do? He says, well, what do you appreciate about your wife? He said, well, she's, she makes a lot of good meals. I appreciate all her hard work that way. He says, have you told her? He says, oh, I could never do that. <laughs> that scares me. That would take a miracle for me to feel comfortable enough to tell her. He says, well, that's good. God specializes in miracles. He'll help you. So that night, he went to dinner, and later, Dr. Hendricks said, how did the meal go? He says, it was terrible. He says, what do you mean terrible? He said, well, she, you know, tablecloth, candlelight dinner, several courses she knocked it out of the park he says well, why was it terrible he says i couldn't eat anything i was so nervous because i was thinking how do i tell her i appreciate her so he said i got around the table i said god you're gonna have to tell me i got around the table he says i think she thought i was gonna tackle her <laughs> so i lifted her up so we could be eyeball to eyeball and i said that was amazing honey he said she nearly fainted but he said we were off to the races. I knew that I had broken through a really important barrier. Later, he gave his testimony in the locker room to fellow players, and he says, guys, I'm fearless on the football field. There's nothing I'm afraid to do. But in my marriage, I was a yellow guy. I was afraid and intimidated. But he said, Jesus Christ is changing my life. He's taking a self-centered man, and he's making me see my marriage and my wife and everything differently. And that's what he can do for you and me. Praise his name. So as we close, Frank and Barb Straub have been very important in our church family. About the seventh or eighth year of their marriage, their marriage almost blew up. God got a hold of both Frank and Barb's lives, humbled them and brought them to God, and they began to want to serve him together. Man, they served people. But they know 
how hard marriage is too. And so I've asked them to just pray a prayer of blessing as we go today. So would you welcome Frank and Barb as they close us in prayer. And they'll be here afterwards. If you want someone to pray with you, we'll have people down front. So let's pray together with Frank and Barb. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you for Pastor Jeff's powerful message concerning marriage. And Father, we thank you that you've made us a church of both married and unmarried people who can build one another up. I know from our own experience, we all need your grace daily. Help all of us, for we fail to honor marriage at times. Father, we want to pray for those who are newlyweds, that they will be learning to honor you and each other in their marriage. Some may be here today who are in marriages that have difficulties. For them, we pray that they will seek your guidance and direction. Father, I want to pray for the wives that we will show love and respect for our husbands, that we will build them up, compliment them, appreciate them, and be their number one cheerleader. Father, we thank you for good marriages. Help them to keep depending on you. Some here today have been touched by divorce. May they know your grace and support from our church family. I pray specifically for husbands that we will love our wives as Christ loved the church. What a role model for us. That we treat our wives well, keeping an open line of communication. Help husbands and wives to be good friends. Father, we thank you for your presence with us this morning. Thank you for your encouragement and help through Pastor Jeff's message. We pray that many in attendance this morning, married or unmarried, will leave with newfound hope. Once again, Father Frank and I thank you for saving our marriage years ago and continuing to teach us to be good stewards of this relationship. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. God bless you, everyone. We'll be down front if anyone needs prayer.